0: Welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Jim Hempill, features writer for craft and special projects at IndieWire. My guest today is Nicole Holofcener, a writer-director who has become the American cinema's master of marital unease. The premise of her new comedy, You Hurt My Feelings, a writer overhears her husband saying what he really thinks of her work, is classic Holofcener, an idea rich in both comic possibilities and penetrating insights into the subtle negotiations, minor and major grievances, and temptations and disappointments that make up a long-lasting marriage. The movie is unblinking in the pain it puts its protagonist through. Yet the breadth of Hall of Center's perspective yields as much hope and genuine romance as it does awkwardness, alienation, and pain. It's perhaps the closest any contemporary American filmmaker has come to Jean Renoir. I really enjoyed talking with Nicole about her approach to this wonderful movie. Here's our conversation. So one of the things I really love about your movies, but especially this one, is The way that your camera always accentuates and deepens what's going on with the actors, but it doesn't get in the way, and I think that's a really tricky balance to strike. And I'm curious what your guiding principles are for a movie like this when it comes to the visual style.
1: Um, Well, in terms of the camera, I think you're right. I I like to let things play and really want to hold close-ups for when we really want a close-up and not to manipulate the audience, you know, like it's, it's a close up. uh, something's happening, um, or this is important. Um, it's intuitive completely. I mean, I storyboard with the DP, we storyboard, we talk, but once we're in the location and the light is the way it is and the clothes are the way they are and the, you know, the picture that didn't come in time and, you know, you never know. So, Um, we're very flexible and just kind of intuitively design the show.
0: So that intuition, I mean, I'm guessing is something that you've sort of, you know, I'm sure it's just gotten better over the years as you've been making movies. When you first started out, were there other directors that you looked to as reference points or influences?
1: Well, certainly, I mean, Hal Ashby was a huge influence on me, and I felt like he really let his characters live in the frame. He was not a manipulative director. Um, Everything was very natural. Um, Of course, you know, I would aspire to Woody Allen's long takes and Scorsese's long takes, especially Woody Allen's because, you know, he could do a whole scene, um, you know, cleverly blocked. Um, And, you know, I never have time to do that. I don't even have that many, like, dolly tracks to do it. But I aspire to that. Even though my own um, sensibility is pretty static, it's not, I don't, I don't think in um, big unwieldy shots.
0: Well, I'm actually going to jump ahead since you, since you brought up Woody Allen, this is a question I had for much later, but I'm going to just ask now about the editing because you worked here with Lisa Lepselder, who, as far as I can remember, you haven't worked with since your first movie. And in between then, she's done like basically every Woody Allen movie. Um, And I'm curious what it was like for you. How did the two of you come to work together again? And how had the relationship changed since the first movie? Because obviously you both got so much more experience now than when you made Walking and Talking.
1: Yeah. Well, she was great then. And she's great now. And it was really a wonderful reunion. I mean, we'd stayed in touch. And I knew her work with Woody Allen. And, um, you know, she's just a great editor. So having her again felt really cool really cool that many years apart and um, we we really have the same sensibility and the same sense of humor and I knew that when she did Walking and Talking she couldn't do the next movie because I shot it in LA and so I ended up working with Rob Frazen for many years um, but coming back with Elisa is it was like we never stopped. It was great.
0: And and how do you like to work with an editor? Are you the kind of director who wants to be there the whole time, are you somebody who waits and lets them put together a rough assembly that you come in and look at? Like how how much sort of distance do you like to have from the footage during the editing process?
1: Well, I, let, I would let Elisa um, cut together, editor's cut, first cut, whatever you call it. And um, because she's so good and she knows me so well, it's not that far off. It's the same movie, um, thank goodness. Um, And we'll work together uh, in the same room. You know, it's a combination of everything. Um, On this particular film, it was different because she was cutting in New York and I wanted to be home in L.A. So we did a lot of it online. I would say 80% of the movie online. And then I'd come to New York and work for a week and come back. Um, And it was doable. It wasn't as fun, um, you know, ordering lunch and hanging out and having laughs and and even, um, I think, feeling more free to try things if I had been there. Um, but it worked out all right. It did, and I got to stay home and be near my family.
0: And is the is the editing process on a movie like this, I'm wondering how delicate it is and how much trial and error there is, because your movies don't really have, and this is what I like about them, is they don't necessarily have the big revelatory moments. Like, the characters have these kinds of you know, it's very realistic. I mean, they they don't suddenly have, you know, moments where they're enlightened. It's like it's very small pieces of understanding along the way and sometimes a step back and two steps forward. And so, you know, with a movie like that where it's a collection of smaller moments and you don't have the kind of machinery of genre to drive it, does that make the editing process a little bit more more delicate?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a plot. Um, My, You know, all my movies have a plot, albeit small plots. And Um, yeah, I want to get to it quickly. And usually my movies, I've noticed just a pattern that my movies um, start out kind of meandering and people are like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then by the end of the movie, it sort of packs a wall up. But you don't really know it's coming. This is what I'm told. It's not on purpose. Um, And, but so, yeah, um, I got to keep the movie going. And I tend to, Not like really long scenes. I think I have a couple of really long scenes in this movie, which is unusual for me. And yeah, you got to keep it moving because, um, you know, not that much is happening on screen. Um, But I think editing anything, you know, you just want to show the best movie you can and get the best performances from the footage. You know, like I can't make my movie something they're not through Mm -hmm. editing. You know what I mean?
0: yeah absolutely it
1: is what it is and mostly yeah
0: well and i like lo- i mean i actually don't find the beginnings of your movies meandering and one of the it things could. i like about your movies is how compact they are I, I always love when one of your movies comes out and i look at the running time and it's like 94 minutes or something and because i know you're going to pack a lot into that 94 minutes i mean they're almost they almost remind me even though your movie is very different you know I, I always kind of think of you you know compared to like ingmar bergman who also you know he could jam a lot of insight into an 80 like winter light is something like 80 minutes Mm -hmm, you know and i feel mm -hmm. like your movies like that they're they're very very efficient and i think part of that comes from your writing but also it comes from the way you cast your movies i think you you're so good at casting people who have this kind of economy of of gesture and thinking about like julia lilly dreyfus in this movie and and tobias i mean there's so many scenes where just the the sort of subtlest gesture on their part tells you so much about the relationship and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the casting process. And I'm guessing that Julia Louis-Dreyfus was probably, you know, a given, at least in your mind from the beginning, having yeah. worked with her on enough set. I mean, was she somebody you were writing to from the start?
1: I was. I was picturing her in the part. I Before I was writing it, I told her what I wanted to write about and would she maybe be interested in playing a part like this? And she just, you know, of course she could relate to it so dearly. So I was really happy and... I was really happy to be able to picture her in the in the scenes because it made me a better writer, picturing her saying these things. And then on top of that, directing it, she, you know, made me even a better writer. Um, so it's it is fun to to work with someone in your mind. I didn't have I didn't have any other characters in my head um, that I'm remembering. Um, but on the, on the note of shorter movies, um, you know, sometimes I, I want my movies to be a little bit longer, um, but I'm pretty brutal with cutting things out. Um, and I, I do like to be economical and I wish that so many movies were a half hour shorter than they are. I would love them instead of just, you know, I loved it, but I was over, you know, a half hour before it ended. And, um, I don't know. What's the deal? What is the deal?
0: Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I have no problem with a three-hour movie if it's justified. Some of the greatest movies right. made are made three hours. But right. But they shouldn't all be two hours and 15 minutes. Right. Necessarily, like, no, I don't, I don't really think sure. so.
1: And if you can pull that off and keep everybody into it, that's great. But it's mm-hmm. rare.
0: Yeah. You know, another thing I really liked about this movie was the depiction of male vanity with the husband character because I feel like, you know, in my experiences, uh, just with actors, I have often found that the cliche, the opposite of the cliche is true. I find that a lot of male actors have a lot more vanity than female actors. They're mm-hmm. the ones who want the camera on a certain side and things like that. So I love that you sort of brought that out in the, in the character that Tobias plays, but I'm curious what it was like casting that role. I mean, was it something, did you get resistance from the actors that you were considering for it? Or you know, what kinds of conversations were you having with them?
1: That male lead was a very different character. Uh, for a long time. He had a different job. He was a different person. And it was a different theme that he was having. And I um, offered it to a few actors. And s- several of them did not want to portray someone who thinks they have eye bags. And some of them, surprisingly, you know, look 80 and, you know, think they don't or whatever. They're vain. And um, and even Tobias, I mean, he doesn't have any eye bags. It's you know, we gave him some, but small, it's it's not about that. It's about getting older and thinking about how you look. But, yeah, and anyway, when I rewrote it and gave it to Tobias, he was immediately fascinated by it. And some people, some people um would say, you know, you can't you can't have that in the movie. It's just nobody will believe it or this or that, you know, the end result. And Tobias fought for it along with me. Um, I really thought it would work, and I think it did.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought he was great, and I thought the him and Julie Dreyfus, I thought, did such a great job can, like portraying a married couple that had been together a long time. Like, I felt like there was such a sort of the right kind of comfort level, and I'm curious what kind of environment you set up for your actors to facilitate something like that. Like, are you a director? Is there a rehearsal period? Are there early discussions among all of you? Like, how you know, is it just that they're great actors? I mean, how do you, how do you sort of it's
1: kind of that last one?
0: <laughs> you know, how do you create that kind of comfort level between them on screen?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I do it quickly, I guess. And, and like I said, cast great actors. I mean, you, you don't have to work very hard if you do. And if you cast them really right for the part, I mean, Tobias and Julia just met and we hung out and we had a couple of dinners or We would read the script and change things and make suggestions um, and then show up on the set. So very, very little rehearsal. You know, rehearsal when we get to the set, unblocking and everything, and you know, enough time to play around a little bit. But um, in fact, you know, we shot the, the most intense scene, the scene where she overhears him and her out on the street on the first day and so there was no history in the, in playing these characters, you know, that the betrayal hadn't been, you know, built up to anything between the actors, and, you know, I don't think they were happy that that was going to be their first day, but they did great. Um, I don't, at least for me and my directing style is, I guess, very, um, relaxed and, um, you know, uh, Comfortable, and I want to make the actors feel safe enough to try things and to feel stupid, and um, trust me that you know I won't make them look stupid. But you know, we had a lot of laughs. I mean, I I want to enjoy making the film as much as I want it to do well. Especially if it doesn't do well, at least I had fun making it. Um, yeah, I'm yeah I'm pretty relaxed,
0: and. Did the decision to shoot that scene on the first day, I mean, was that just purely some kind of logistical thing where it was when you had the location or that kind of thing?
1: Exactly. It was a really tight schedule and couldn't shuffle things and actors flying in and out. And I think we only got that store on that day. I mean, we, we really tried to avoid it and it was unavoidable, so.
0: Well, I love the use of New York locations in the movie and I was curious what your kind of, a pro, like I guess what your, for lack of a better word, philosophy is about how you how you wanted to present New York, how you see New York, and what are the kind of what are the pros and cons of shooting on the street in New York as opposed to doing
1: something that's just like on a stage? Yeah, well, the pros are obvious. I mean, it's a great backdrop, and it's very much who these people are—they're New Yorkers. I don't tend to think about the you know people will say, oh, the location is a character. And it's not, I would say in Woody Allen, Manhattan is a character, you know, beautiful shots of the city. It's really a part of the film. And for me, this is just where the actors are. This is where they're walking. And uh, this is where that is. And this is where that is. And, um, you know, I wanted pretty streets. um, And I wanted the Central Park and uh, real streets. I mean, it's great to have uh, you know, we shot in Union Square on the first day. It was nuts. Um, and we didn't know the streets and paparazzi, you know, in the background. Um, but it's all fun. It's stressful, but it's really fun. And I get to have, you know, real life incorporated into the film.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I always think about the scene in Taxi Driver with De Niro and Civil Shepherd where they're in the diner and you see everything going on behind them out the window and how much that adds to it if as opposed to like if if the angle was the other way and you just saw all you saw was like the backdrop of the diner as opposed to the city and i feel like you know your movies have a lot of that too you just feel this like kind of teeming life going on Mm. in the background i really like and and that leads me to another question which is how important is your relationship with your ad on a movie like this where you're doing that kind of stuff out there's so much it's out on location
1: it's really important relationship between me and the A.D. And I, I loved my first A.D. I loved all the A.D.s on this movie. And, you know, a good A.D. will help block, will help morale, will um, often give me ideas or catch things, you know. Um, I like them. I mean, it really helps if they get the story and I can tell they love the story as opposed to just doing a job of organizing and scheduling. I mean, that's great. And I've, I've been pretty lucky with creative first ADs. I have. Um, and that's that's the best. As long as, you know, they're not telling me, you know, what to do or um, how I should shoot something, um, which, you know, they don't. Probably in the beginning.
0: <laughs> well, you know, bringing up the ADs, giving you ideas for blocking and stuff like that, that brings up another question for me, which is, is just sort of what the process is like of blocking a scene i mean some scenes you know it's going to be self-explanatory if it's you know the act if they're having dinner at a restaurant or something but when you come in for more complicated scenes um what's the process like are you the kind of director who i know you said you storyboard but do you share those storyboards with the actors or is it more you come in and you see what they're going to do and what their ideas are first or how do you yeah there's
1: no time for that
0: uh-huh. that's
1: just asking for disaster <laughs> It's like, I'll stand in that corner and I'm going to stand in this corner and, you know, walk in and out of the room. Oh, God. So what I do is um, in prep, the DP and I will go and the AD will go and block out the scene and read it together and kind of imagine how it might be. And I write that down or I make pictures and the actors come on the set and I say, this is what I've blocked out. This made sense to me. If you're willing to try it, let's try it. And if it's not working, we'll we'll change it. And um, some actors, I think, I, I haven't had this experience really. Uh, maybe a little bit where actors don't like to, you know. I want to feel it. I want to know where I'm going to go. And I would just say, just try it. Just try it. And often they're like, Yeah, this is actually <laughs> what I was going to do. Um, and so. Most people kind of like to be told where to start from. They want to be directed. And, um, but I'm very flexible and, you know, uh, new ideas are great and the DP's coming up with new ideas. Uh, things often change from the time I've been on the set in prep to when I get there. Like, obviously, set decoration. So I can move things around that way. Um, so I'm not a big planner, but I plan like I, I would feel anxious going onto a set thinking, okay, what are we going to do today? I know some people do that and that would make me unhappy.
0: Well, you've mentioned a few times, you know, that you don't have a lot of time on these movies and, you know, again, I'm curious if there's, I'm sure that you'd always like more time, but is there an advantage in a way to the tight schedules you have in the sense that it kind of forces everybody? to trust their instincts or operate on your first instincts and not second guess.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no time for an actor, and I've been told they do this, wait, 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 and go want the writer and director to go in another room for half an hour and talk about this. And of course that should have been done in prep, right? Um, And there's just no time for that. And I think my actors have known that. Or they also know what they're doing and don't need to discuss everything ad nauseum. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm open to that if there's a problem, the scene's not working or, you know, whatever. Um, but my goal is, you know, three takes and we're out. And again, if you cast the right people, it's entirely possible.
0: Well, you, do you, how often do you ever come across a scene? Do you ever come and have a scene that isn't working and that you have to... That, seemed like it was working fine on the page and then you get it up on its feet and something's just not feeling right and Mm -hmm. how do you deal with that on set
1: Mm -hmm. i can't say that happened with this movie i mean i didn't i cut some scenes out of the movie but not because they weren't working um in other in other films i'm sure i have i mean i remember on my first film really crucial scene was just kind of falling apart i think Anne H. was having a lot of problems with the scene and it wasn't working right. And it took us a long time to work it out. And there was a little bit of, a, you know, do we have time to be doing this? Um, But it worked out and we did it fast enough.
0: Well, you know, at this point, so I I saw this movie uh, the first time I saw it at Sundance. And so you were, you know, returning to Sundance. you have been there before, obviously going back to, I think, Walking and Talking debuted there. What's that experience like for you now as opposed to then? I mean, do you still, is it still exciting? Is it nerve-wracking? Do you have the same feelings of anticipation or nervousness before the premiere that you would have back back in your early days?
1: Um, You know, back in the early days, it was a lot more fun because I felt like uh, I had arrived. I got let into the club. I was so excited, very nervous about the screenings and how they would go. But um, Sundance, the festival was also really, really different. Um, and the part that I, I loved so much was the camaraderie between the filmmakers and hanging out in the filmmakers' lounge, where you could just walk up to you know Brian De Palma and have a conversation. Um, that's, that's no longer. Um, so yeah, Sundance was really different. Um, the festival itself, like seeing movies is the same, but, um, the whole experience is different, and yet, I still get of course, really nervous uh that uh, before the premiere oh yeah
0: and do you and do you sit through the movie there with the audience and yeah um what uh are you ever surprised by what people laugh at or what they don't laugh at and all that kind of thing?
1: yeah, yeah, there's some stuff I wish I could have um I'd cut because they don't laugh so much, um <laughs> but it's. I sit in there because it's new and it's thrilling to hear people's responses. Um, I can't recut, but for the most part, it's all working. Um, and I'm having screenings now and I'm still going to sit in there. It's, it's still a joy for me to experience it as long as it's going well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like now even more than ever, it's valuable to have those experiences sitting with an audience because there's kind of this fear of, the theatrical experience going away or not as many people watching these movies in the theater. And I feel like you kind of almost have to treasure any time an audience is actually sitting in a room watching your movie together.
1: That's a good point. Never thought of it that way. Yeah, because most people will be watching it, you know, in their living room. Yeah.
0: Well, before I let you go, I just have to ask, because I'm a huge Elaine May enthusiast, um, how you came to cast Jeannie Berlin in the movie and what that experience was like.
1: The experience was fantastic. She's hilarious and lovely, and we've become friends. It was a pinch-me moment. The Heartbreak Kid is one of my favorite movies. I have copies of it, watched it multiple times, so the idea that I got her in my movie is um, kind of surreal. And also having met Elaine May, who is an idol of mine. Um, Jeannie McCarthy, I guess, my casting director, suggested her. And... um, what a great idea. Such a great idea. And she's brilliant in it, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You no, know, I mean, everybody in the movie is terrific. I really Thanks. really enjoyed the uh, David Cross, Amber Tamblyn uh, <laughs> stuff in the therapy office. I thought that was all very, very, you know, funny. And I thought you kind of, I thought you and they pushed, pushed it right up to the edge where, you know, it was a little broader than some of the other stuff in the movie, but still completely convincing. I mean, I could, I've met that couple before. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, if something was too broad, you know, they ad-libbed a lot. And, you know, we cut out anything that was really too big. Um, debated upon the line, my mother's been dead for less than a week, which, of course, flew out of David's mouth. Couldn't cut it out. I mean, come on. Yeah. It, you know, might not be believable, but I don't care. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I mean, I thought it was just, I thought it was a really funny and moving and... uh just great, insightful movie. I really loved it. Thank so you. I pre- appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about it.
1: Great. Thanks for having me.